of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, we are in this sermon series entitled Quit. And uh, we've taken it from a book that um, was written by pastors and authors Jerry and Peter Scazzaro entitled I Quit. And the title just grabbed my attention because what does it mean to quit as a Christian? And so the first week we talked about the need to quit being afraid of what other people think. Anybody here have struggle with that like I do? Yeah. And so we talked about being a child of God and um, remembering who we are and whose we are, the identity that we hold as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, and that would help, wouldn't it, if I put my earpiece on? Yeah. There we go. Okay, that better? And um, so we love because God first loved us. That's how we love. That's why we love. We love because God first loved us. And so last week, Pastor Tim helped us talk about the, the need to quit denying our anger, our sadness, and our fear. He emphasized that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. And... Um, that God is with us through all things. And I would add to that that God is big enough to handle our fear. God is big enough to handle our anger. God is big enough to surround us in our sadness, right? I love that. It's okay to not be okay. I, I still can't get the image out of my mind that Pastor Tim gave us about the action figure Jesus if you, haven't, if you haven't heard the sermon, I encourage you to go online and uh, watch the sermon. But he compared, he said, what if Jesus was this action figure Jesus? It would be table flipping Jesus. That's what he said. We would have a table flipping Jesus. Well, this week I'm going to talk about something I think we all do without even realizing it. And that is we die to the wrong things and we need to quit. So will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, wash over us your spirit. Touch our minds and hearts. God, I pray that you would use me, broken as I am, to preach your word, to share your good news. May the meditations of my heart and words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, how many of you can remember back when you first became a Christian? You first decided to follow Jesus Christ. Some of you did that from the very time you were a child. And some of you kind of moved into that. Well, when I first became a Christian, I thought Christianity was all about the rules. I thought it was about doing this and not doing that, and I had to live a certain way, and I had to move a certain way. I could only say certain things, and I was constantly feeling guilty. Anybody there with me? I was constantly feeling guilty, feeling like I just never could make it. I never could do enough, say enough, be enough for Christ. Until I began to really study God's Word and understand that that God wants more for us than we could ever imagine or that we could ever want for ourselves, but not just way in the way the world promotes. God wants a new life for us, a different life for us, but it's a fulfilled life. Jesus promises us not a life of the world, but he promises us abundant life. 
And that is a different sort of life. It requires giving up some things in order to gain so much more. Can I hear an amen? Many Christians who focus on the rules of religion instead of the love and fullness of what God offers us live unhappy, unfulfilled lives like I did back when I thought it was just all about rules. We become tired and burned out trying to live up to the standard set for ourselves instead of the life God is offering to us. People like this are dying to the wrong things. Dying to the wrong things. Dying to the wrong things means depriving yourself of the God-gifts that are yours and depriving yourself of the pleasures that, and, that nurture a unique life in Christ. You die to the wrong things when you set aside and devalue the activities that bring you joy or nurture your soul. You die to the wrong things when you ignore important relationships in your life or when you put your needs continually last in the midst of life. All of this can easily lead to a tragic distortion of Distortion, I'm sorry. A tragic distortion and misapplication of what it means to follow Jesus. The Christian faith is not a set of rules, is it? Or It's not a set of rules for successful living. It's no mere philosophy or self-help theory. It's a declaration of God's mighty acts centering around a cross and an empty tomb. Jesus said to everyone, As you heard Sharifa read, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. What advantage do people have if they gain the whole world for themselves, yet perish or lose their lives? Now, when you first read this, Admittedly, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to be a Christian, does it? We know what carrying the cross meant for Jesus. It meant suffering. It meant death. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when they heard Jesus tell them this? Well, that's not exactly what I signed up for, Jesus, when you said, follow me. I had something else in mind here. But here's the essential truth about Christianity. Jesus did not stay dead, and neither do we. I think of the song that Nick and Tim and the rest of the band like to sing at Easter in modern worship. It's called Graves into Gardens. You remember that song? And the essential premise is that God takes the hard, dark things in life, even death itself, and turn, turn it around. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You turn graves into gardens. Hear that upside down life that Jesus calls us to? We're going to have to give up in order to have this abundant life. When we surrender our lives to God, we are gaining life, a life in Christ. And the Gospel of John records it this way. He said, I came, Jesus said, so that they could have life, life in all of its fullness, right? They could live life to the fullest. 
Yet this life as a disciple of Jesus Christ is something we live in tension with in the world around us, isn't it? Through the cross, salvation is ours, but our life as a disciple is not immediate transformation, is it? How many of you can think you, you got it all when you became a Christian? You knew it all. You could understand God's love fully, right? You might remember the comedian Yakov Smirnov. Anybody remember Yakov Smirnov? He's 71 now. Joe and I actually saw him in college. That tells you how long ago. But part of his shtick was when he came to the United States from Russia, he shared about his experience about going to an American grocery store for the first time. And he said, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. And then he said, then I saw powdered orange juice. And you just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder. And I thought, mmm, what a country. (laughs) Smirnoff is joking, but we make assumptions about Christianity, about Christian transformation. That people just instantly change at salvation. You know, some traditions call it repentance and renewal. The United Methodist Church calls it justification and sanctification. And many traditions, according to belief, um, believe that when they know Christ, there's this in-depth, miraculous change in habitudes, attitudes, and characters. And that's true. But it's a gradual process with us. We go to churches if we're going to the grocery store. And we think, powdered Christian, just add water, some disciple water, baptismal water on top of us, and immediately we've got it all. That's just not the way it goes. There's no such powder and for discipleship of Jesus Christ. We're not instantly transformed. They are slowly, we're slowly raised through trials and sufferings and temptations. And in this daily life, we make choices, don't we? Choices every single day. And sometimes we don't get it right. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, called this backsliding. Sometimes life gets so hard that it impacts our faith. And our mourning and our sadness, our shame, sometimes get the better of us. And we start to die to the wrong things or for the wrong reasons. And that's when we have to choose to believe all over again. And each time we do, we get faith. We understand our faith a little bit better, and we become a little bit stronger, transformed a little more. That sanctification process of stepping with Christ, growing closer with Christ each and every day. Carrying our cross like Jesus does not mean, though, that we give up the things that bring us life, life in all of its fullness. God does not want us to die to the things that make us uniquely his. But sometimes when we focus too much on the self, we can die to the wrong things. We die to image or appearance. We die to expectations. We die to ambition. We die to our own self of importance or our desire for control. And there are just so many more. When we're not self-aware of the gifts that God gave us, 
the gifts that make us uniquely his, then we can easily sacrifice who God created us to be. And in this, we miss our opportunity to carry our cross in love. Because that is the sort of cross Jesus wants us to carry. A cross of love and sacrifice. Because what is the cross? Jesus went to the cross for each of us. It was an act of love. It was an act of sacrifice for humanity. And so Jesus calls us to carry our cross daily. How do you quit dying to the wrong things? Even if you realize you're doing that, how do you quit dying to the wrong things? We have to remember our heart and who we are as those called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, how God made us uniquely for his purposes. And few of us spend time in self-reflection, do we? Thinking about who we are and how we can grow closer to God and how we can use these gifts to the glory of God. It means carving ourselves away and spending some intentional time with God in reflection about who we are. Scazzaro outlines a few steps that can guide us in this sort of reflection. She said, first, you have to know your heart. You have to know your heart. You, you have to know what you're feeling, what you value. You have, to know, you have to know your heart for a reason. You have to know your heart whether or not you're uh, feeling too full of yourself or whether you need to humble your heart. If Jesus is going to live in, then, in you, then you must die to the things that do not bring life, abundant life, sacrificial life, and love. And failing to know what's going in in your heart eventually results in losing a connection to God in a way that the Holy Spirit can move in you and through you. Scazzaro says this, Knowing your heart requires standing in God's presence and asking yourself some difficult questions about your actions, reactions, motives, feelings, and thoughts. Last week, Pastor Tim reminded us of those WWJD bracelets. I used to have one of those. Anybody else used to have one of those? When I was leading youth group back a long time ago, um, I wore one all the time, and it was a constant reminder that my actions were a direct reflection of my relationship with God. And if I had on that WWJD bracelet and I did something that was not in sacrificial love and in the ways of Christ, then what was I saying? I was dying to the wrong things. That's what I was doing. Today, Christian t-shirts are popular. Anybody got a Christian t-shirt at home that has a Christian uh, um, Bible verse on it or something like that? When I put one of those on, I have quite a few of them. When I put one of those on, I know I put it on with responsibility. For instance, how would it know? How would it look for someone who does not know Jesus if I've got an Amazing Grace t-shirt on and I go out and I bite and snarl at everybody? I'm not offering grace. And so if I do that, I'm not carrying my cross, am I? We have to examine our heart. The next thing she said to do to be a cross carrier is you have to know your personality. You have to know how you're wired, what makes you uniquely you. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to reflect on them for just a second or two in between each question. What drains you? 
What gives you life? When do you become defensive? What is your deepest joy? Each of us had things that come into our hearts and minds when we, when we started to reflect upon those questions. You know, most of us think we know who we are, that we know every detail about ourselves. In fact, you know, who should know us better than ourselves, right? But did you know that you actually hide things from yourself? You hide things from yourself. Now, as a clergy person, I have taken almost every assessment out there, personality assessment out there, especially on the Board of Ordained Ministry. We ask our clergy to go through these kinds of assessments, and so I take them right along with them as well. And um, so I've taken the Myers-Briggs, the Herman Brain Dominance Inventory, Strength Finders, and some I can't even remember that I've taken. But the one that I found to be the most helpful is Enneagram. And the Enneagram is um, not only told me my good points, <laughs> but it taught me also, it showed me also my not so good points. I think that's why I really liked this assessment. It helped me see things that I was hiding from myself. Now, the assessment's in nine categories. And so you're assigned a number, and the personalities kind of fall, personalities kind of fall within one of those numbers. And number one is the good person. Number two is the helper or giver. Number three is the achiever. Number four is the dreamer or romantic. Number five is the wise person. Number six, the loyal person. Number seven, the joyful person. Number eight, the assertive person. And number nine, the peacemaker. Now then, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a two, the giver or helper. And when I started to take the assessment, I read over the assessment first, and I read all the categories, and I thought, oh, I'm a number eight. I'm a number eight. I'm an assertive person because the eight is all about truth and justice, and I thought, I'm an eight. I want to preach truth and justice, right? And I'm sure that I do preach truth and justice. See, a number does not encompass all that you are. But what it did was help me realize that I'm really a two because the assessment helped me to see something I could not see about myself. I needed to be needed. I needed to be needed. I was dying to the wrong things. I was dying in my need of rescue or fixing things. I was dying in my need of validation from others. You remember the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus as Jesus is heading into Jerusalem and he stops there and Mary and Martha are there with Jesus and Martha's in the kitchen. She's preparing the meal and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, right? I am a Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. Jesus is looking at me saying, Terry, 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 Terry. Martha was dying to the wrong things. She was dying to the perfect meal and she was kind of getting indignant because Mary wasn't in there to help her. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing. She's chosen. I started to really reflect her. Martha's pride needed to die so her love could grow. So her love could grow. Knowing how you're wired helps you know when you are dying to the wrong things. Now, I ask myself a constant question. 
Am I doing something? Is it out of pride or is it out of humble service? It helped me to realize how I need to carry my cross. You see, I think that is often the humble acts of service that provide us with the deepest sense of joy. That's why I ask you, what brings you your deepest joy? Jesus said, those who are willing to lose their life for my sake shall find it. We give up one way of living so that we can live a life that is authentically ours as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember, God takes us not to the grave and leaves us there. He turns graves into gardens, death into life, darkness to light. You know, in in another part of Scazzaro's book, she talks about this toolkit that we need to carry with us in order to live the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. And one of the most important tools in the toolbox she calls a key of hope. A key of hope. Often when a door appears closed to us, hope is the key that will open it. We need to remember the power of God's love and live in God's hope daily. It says carry our cross daily. Hope comes to us giving us true life, abundant life, in order for, that we might be fully alive. You see, when we quit dying to the wrong things and begin the journey of knowing our hearts and our personalities, we come alive in our true identity as those who follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. And as they do, I want to share with you a quote by Howard Thurman. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Amen? Are you alive today in God's love? Because if you're living the life that Christ calls you to, it's a full and abundant life. Maybe not in the way the world proclaims that it is a joyful and full life. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, help us to come alive in your love today. Help us to be alive. Your life that flows through us that we might show the world you look like who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.